in with us to be a part of the observing, not participating in, but observing uh, the Lord's Supper. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 11 as we come to close out this chapter today. And I really do think it's appropriate that we look at the, this last part of this chapter of faith as we come to the Lord's table. I would remind you that coming to this table is an act of faith. The whole 11th chapter is, is about the, the faith chapter. It's about the men and women of faith throughout the Old Testament, the, the saints of God that preceded the coming of Christ. And, and just pointed how they were justified by faith and how their, their faith led to actions. Their faith led to them doing. Their faith led to many different things that we'll talk about again in just a moment. But as New Testament believers, when we come to this table, I hope we come not as just a... A, a ritual, not as just a, a rite of some sort, but that we come to this table by faith. We come to this table believing what the elements stand for. As Christians, we believe that the bread is representative of the body of Christ that was given on the cross that we might live. We come and we take of, of the fruit of the vine and, and we recognize that that is symbolic of His blood which was shed on the cross that the new covenant might be established. The book of Hebrews has talked a lot about the new covenant and us being in covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And, and so this table is very much an act of faith if we come rightly. If we come in the way that the scripture prescribes for us to come, we come to this table in faith and by faith. But we come to these last verses in this 11th chapter. I want to start reading... In, in verse 32, we covered actually 32 and, and 33 a little bit with the text last week. But I want us to read that to get the full context through verse 40. The writer says this, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and, and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms. Uh, who performed acts of righteousness, by faith performed acts of righteousness, not did acts of righteousness to, to, to get faith, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign enemies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to, uh, to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world is not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. 
You know, when you, when you read this section, there's several things that kind of jump out at you, I think, immediately. One is, you, you think about the, the chapter that has gone before, the, the verses that have gone before in this chapter, and one of the things you see is that many of those, Moses, Joseph, and others, they experienced persecution, they experienced difficult times, and faith brought them through that, but in each of those situations, something good came out of it. You know, there, there was something good at the end, there was light at the end of the tunnel, if you will. But in these that he's talking about here, he doesn't give any indication that, that there's a whole lot of good that comes out of it past the women receiving back their dead by resurrection, probably referring to Elijah and Elisha who saw between them three resurrections of people who had died. But then it goes into this, others were tortured. You know, they, they, were, they were tortured. From weakness, though, they were made strong. They, they, they may have had weakness in the flesh. They may have had weakness in their own being, but when, when they trusted God, when they expressed faith and experienced faith, then they became strong in the midst even of those difficulties. Uh, he says there were those who were, went through the power of the fire. Uh, you can't help but think he must be referring there to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember that in the book of Daniel? Uh, the king threw them in the fire because they would not bow down and worship him and worship his idols and so threw them in the fire and nothing happened to them. They, they, were, they were saved alive through the fire even though those who were throwing them in were singed and burned because of the hotness of the fire. They walked around freely and when the king looked in he said there, there appears to be four in there. Didn't we just throw three in? And there appears to be four who looks as though he is maybe the son of God. Of course, theologians agree that there, that is probably a, a pre-incarnate manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ there in the fire with them as the fire is raging. It says, shut the mouths of lions. Again, Daniel, thrown in the lion's den in order to be devoured because he refused to bow down and worship false gods. And rather, he had faith in God to see him through. The lions protected, were closed. Their mouths were closed. And Daniel was protected in the midst of that. And it goes on and on to talk about these things that took place. And you have to remember that this book is being written to a group of people who are suffering because of their faith. They are being persecuted. They are being maligned. Some are being killed. Uh, they're going through horrendous circumstances. And, and the writer's writing this to say, because of your faith, you cannot turn back. In faith, you must stand firm to face whatever comes at you in this world. And, and he says about these Old Testament saints, these are men of whom the world is not worthy. The world considered them unworthy. The, the Christians, the, the Old Testament saints, the world considered that they were, they were not worthy because they had this faith in this Messiah, this faith in this Jesus, and they didn't, they didn't fit with the rest of culture. Their lifestyle, their faith was totally different. And yet, the writer says, they, the world, these are men of whom the world was not worthy. These went through desolation and went through impoverished situations, wandering in deserts, mountains, and caves, and living in holes in the ground. I mean, how much worse can it be wearing skins of animals that they obviously took off themselves in order to be able to be clothed? The writer's saying, Faith will not 
guarantee that you will not go through some difficult times. I think just this morning, as, as we're here in this comfortable church, the temperature is comfortable, the seats are relatively comfortable, and, and, and nobody's pounding on the door to try to take us away. I, I think of Sad Masua, who is in Afghanistan right now, facing execution. Perhaps will be hung before this day is over. Why? Because he's a believer in Christ. Because some time ago, God worked in his life and he expressed faith in Christ. And because of that, a spy turned him in as a disciple of Jesus. And, and now he was convicted and he awaits execution. I think about the stories that have come out of Egypt in the last few months. As, as they have had, uh, you know, we've seen the unrest on the TV about the political unrest. What we've not been seeing is that Christian churches have been burned and Christians have been attacked and, and people have been called before judges and said, you must renounce your faith in Christ. And they refuse to do so. Even at the threat of death. That's the kind of people that the writer of Hebrews is talking about here. And those are the kind of people that are existing in our world today. We can look back easily and say, well, Daniel went through the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through the fiery furnace. But folks, these are people today that are going through the fiery furnace. We may not be. It might do us good if we did. But around this world, around this globe, there are men and women who are being persecuted severely, threatened with death because of their faith in Jesus Christ. There are others who are facing the horrors of illness. Some of you have gone through some of that. Some of you have suffered that. I, I, I got an email from a friend of mine this week in Orlando, Florida, one of my dearest friends in the world. And possibly because of all we went through together in his own life where we drawn closer. But, but, but he was diagnosed on Christmas Eve in 1999, what a Christmas present, with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Became very ill, went to Houston, had a bone marrow transplant, has suffered through the host graft disease, the rejection of all this stuff for years now. Has all sorts of struggles that come up constantly, and yet Tripp's faith has remained strong in the midst of that. He wrote me an email. He, he gets our, our CDs, he, uh, uh, and, and so he hears these sermons. And he wrote me a, a, just a brief email this past week thanking me again. He'd gotten some more CDs. And he said, that book, talking about Hebrews, he said, that book meant and means a lot to me. But it really meant a lot to me when the fire raged hotter than it is at this moment in my life. I mean, there were times when we didn't think Tripp was going to make it. And yet, he never said, God, why me? God, what's going on? He said, listen, my faith and hope is in God. And he closed out that with a quote from Hebrews where it says, I'm looking forward, I'm looking toward that city whose builder and maker is God. And that's really what the writer is saying here when he said, you know, they gained approval through their faith, though they, they did not receive that which was promised. These men were looking for a Messiah. These men were looking for one to come and be a Redeemer. They had faith that He was coming, but they did not get to see that promise fulfilled. None of these did. They never lost faith because they knew that that was coming. They knew that that time was coming when they would know the joy 
of the revelation of Messiah, even if not on this earth in due time. It says in verse 40 that God provided something better for us. They didn't receive the promise because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Now, I, first time I read that years ago, and, and maybe many times since, I kind of scratch my head and say, what in the world is the writer saying? They didn't receive the promise because God provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. What he's saying is that the only way to be made perfect is in Christ Jesus. The only way perfection is, is made whole in our lives is in Christ Jesus. And we know that won't be until we see Him face to face, whether in death or in His coming, when we are glorified in His presence. But there is that to look forward to. There is that joy. There is that knowing that when faith is a reality in our life, that He will perfect us and He will perfect all that there is. So as we come to the end of chapter 11 and we prepare to take this table this morning, I think there are probably four final conclusions that I would say are important as we think back on this whole chapter, really. First of all, what matters is not the circumstances in which we find ourselves, but what matters is our faith in God. Now hear that. What matters is not the circumstances we find ourselves in, but our, what really matters is our trust and our faith in God, in Jesus Christ, in what faith has been given us by the Holy Spirit as the promises there that by faith we will be protected through whatever circumstance we are in. We probably won't find ourselves in a fiery furnace or in a lion's den. But there are other circumstances that will cause us, just like was being caused by the Hebrew Christians, to doubt, to look in another direction, to consider turning back. And yet we have to come to realize that circumstances will not control our life. What must control our life is our faith in God. Secondly, as we think back on this chapter, we have to remember that faith suffices while we wait for God's promises to be fulfilled. You know, we don't see by sight. We don't live by sight in this earth. We walk by faith. There's coming a day when we will be with Him, when we will walk by sight. We will see the glory of God. We will see the glory of Christ. We will see all of the, all the promises that are fulfilled right before our very eyes. But right now, we don't live by sight. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. Thirdly, and I think especially important to the readers of this book, as well as to you and me, is that times of trial especially demand faith. You know, don't let circumstances or trials in your life that will come and that will be sent there... Yeah, this is a dangerous statement, I know, because we are so uh, caught up in, in more and more secular theology than our biblical theology, but trials and circumstances that will come in your life because God sends them. You know, the scripture says he, He's the creator of light and the creator of darkness. We'll talk about that as a matter of fact this Wednesday night 
in our theology studies, we talk about the person of God. But understand that when those trials come, faith is demanded. Faith is a must. And you must turn your attention not to look upon the circumstances, but to gaze upon the presence of Almighty God. You've heard me say this before, but it's so important. In our day and time, we tend to concentrate, to focus on the circumstances, and to occasionally glance toward God. Oh, this is horrible. This is terrible. How can I be in the middle of this? How can, God, please do something about it. Oh, this is horrible. Lord, please help. You know, it's just kind of a, a, a concentration of focusing on the circumstance and a glancing at God. These men and women in the 11th chapter learned what it meant to gaze upon the glory of God and just glance at the circumstances. Worshiping Him, adoring Him, glorying in Him, praising Him, understanding that He's in control of all things and occasionally saying, and Lord, this is a mess over here, but Lord, You are in charge, You are in control. We worship You, we trust You, we walk with You. We as Christians in, the, in our day must learn to gaze upon God and glance upon our circumstances. And then finally, we must remember that in the end, when all else is gone, when all else is taken away, what will matter is our faith. We must remember that it is through faith alone that we are saved. It is through through, through, through grace, uh, through, by grace, through faith alone, that we have relationship with God through Jesus Christ. His grace being applied by His Holy Spirit changing our life and our trust in Him that justifies us and shows that we belong to Him. And when all else fails, when all else is stripped away, we must remember that all that matters in the end is our faith. Faith that endures to the end. That's what the writer is emphasizing. That's what the writer is challenging these people to. Don't be tempted to turn back. Keep your gaze on God. Keep your focus on Him. And He will deliver you. Maybe not like you want Him to deliver you in this world, but He will deliver you. Ultimately, in His purpose and His plan. That's why it's important that regularly we come to this table. That, that's why it's important that regularly we, we set aside this time just to focus on what this table teaches us. As I said to start off with, this is an act of faith. And if you're here this morning and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we invite you to this table whether you're a member of Grace Baptist or not. This is not Grace Baptist table. It's not the Baptist church table. It's the Lord's table. And if you are a disciple of His, if you belong to, to His family, then you're invited to this table. But it speaks of faith. When we take that bread in our hand and we bring it to our mouth, we are expressing, I believe in the, in the fact that the body of Christ has been given, has been has been nailed to a cross as a sacrifice and a substitute for me. And I take it in. I express it by eating of it, making it a part of my life. When I take that cup, I'm saying, you know, 
by faith I truly believe that this represents the blood that Jesus shed on that cross that established the new covenant. That made it, made it able for us to have relationship with God. We take that cup and we say, as we bring it to our lips, it's reminding us of that night with the disciples, those 11 disciples that he, that he finalized that meal with. And we take it to our lips and we say, we are drinking it because we believe that blood has cleansed us of our sins. It's acts of faith. Now drinking the juice and eating the bread will not in any way, shape or form, give you salvation. And if you're trusting in a ritual or trusting in a rite, to bring about that salvation, then just like the Old Testament saints of old, they trusted in, in the coming Christ. They trusted in the promises of God. They, they looked at the, the simple word of God and said, we believe. You don't trust in a ritual. You trust in what this points to. The death and the burial and the resurrection. The sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture indicates that we ought to come to this table in confession. We ought to come to this table examining ourselves and saying, Lord, show me in my life. Be a, be a searchlight in my life and show me what needs to be just kind of trimmed away. Show me what it is that's affecting my walk with you and, and my, my witness to the world I live in. Show me, Lord, what it is in my life that's keeping me from being an effective witness to my co-worker or my neighbor or my family. And then confess it to Him and trust Him to take it away. We come to the table in examination. We come to the table in confession. But most of all, like the 11th chapter of Hebrews shows us, we come to the table in faith. Would you bow your heads with me? And I will ask those who will be serving, the deacons who will be serving, to come and take their place. But as they're coming, would you pray with me a prayer? Of, con of confession in preparation to the table. Almighty God, to know you is the fulfillment of our deepest longings and the satisfaction of our most ardent desires. Yet foolishly, we have sought our pleasure elsewhere. We have put the seeking of idols which are bound to leave us feeling empty above seeking you. We have failed to love you with our whole heart, soul, and mind. We have failed to love our neighbors as ourselves. Forgive us for our sins, for the sake of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, and grant that from now on, we might serve you in newness of life.
as we come to this table, Lord, as we come to this table, Father, let us be cleansed again. Lord, let us be made right for service and for ministry and for witness. For we pray in Jesus' name.